From the K-Rob Collection, this is Audio Antiques, featuring programs from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson. Our focus is on the great Jackie Robinson, the first African-American to play Major League Baseball. Robinson broke the color barrier when he started at first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers on April 15, 1947. We'll hear his story as told by legendary sports reporter Bill Stern, then two episodes from Jackie Robinson's own radio show, and his biography in a 1948 episode of Destination Freedom, followed by Jack Buck's interview with Jackie Robinson on KMOX Radio in the early 1960s. It's all right after this break. If you're tired of outrageously expensive cell phone bills, come on over to Mint Mobile. Talk, text, and data plans just start at $15 a month. There are no contracts. Sign up and Mint will send you a SIM card. Just insert it into your phone. You can even keep your old number. So don't make your cell phone provider rich. Keep that money in your wallet. Go to krobcollection.com for details on Mint Mobile. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Bill Stern with the Colgate Shave Cream Sports Newsreel. Colgate Shave Cream Ambassador is on the air. Colgate Shave Cream Ambassador with stories rare. So the girls advice and you'll look so keen. You'll have a face that's both smooth and clean. Colgate Shave Cream and Bill Stern. The 551st edition of the Colgate Shave Cream Sports Newsreel. Featuring America's most famous collector of yarns and stories. Some legends, some hearsay, but also interesting that we'd like to pass them along to you. And to do this, here's radio's number one sports reporter, Bill Stern. Good evening. Our guest tonight is the famous star of the Brooklyn Dodgers, Jackie Robinson. But first, here is Real One, profile of a wrestler. This is the strange sports story of a boy named... James Summons. Strange, because even though James Summons was only a wrestler, he changed the history of a nation. But in order to fully understand his incredible story, let's go back to the time when James Summons was born at a little farm in Ohio. As James Summons grew up, he loved sports, particularly loved the sport of wrestling. He soon became a good wrestler, too. And in three years, James Summons had become Ohio's wrestling champion. As a champion wrestler, James Summons was very popular. In fact, he was so popular that whenever he appeared in public, he was usually the center of all attention. That's why on one winter's day, when he was standing on a street corner, he was surrounded by his admirers when suddenly in the distance he heard... Immediately, James Summons knew that someone was in trouble. 
Without a moment's hesitation, James Summons ran down to the bank of a nearby river, and there he saw that a man who'd been skating had fallen through the ice. Without wasting a moment, James Summons ran out onto that ice. He carefully worked his way toward that man struggling in the water, and he saved the ice skater's life. And so an ice skater who had gone skating when the ice was too thin had his life saved by the champion wrestler, James Summons of Ohio. When James Summons found out that he could no longer make any money as a wrestler, a strange thing happened to him, for suddenly, suddenly he quit wrestling, and he became a thief. He began stealing. His life now became the most hunted and hated criminal in Ohio. That's why James Summons disappeared from the state of Ohio. And the next time his name was mentioned in his home state was when a former neighbor said of him... Remember James Summons who used to live here? Now he's wanted for murder. James Summons was wanted for murder. Finally, he was caught. He was thrown in a prison. His reputation was so bad that no lawyer would defend him. That is, no lawyer would defend him until one day when a certain lawyer came to James Summons and this lawyer said to him, Uh, your name James Summons? Yes, it is. Why? I'm a lawyer, Summons. I've come to defend you. You want to defend me? Well, that's right. You must be crazy. Why do you want to do this? Remember many years ago when you saved a man who had fallen through the ice? You saved his life? Yes, I well, do. I'm that man. You saved my life, and now I'm going to save yours. Strange as it seems, that lawyer did save James Summons' life. Not only saved him from the hangman's noose, but got him off scot-free. Well, that's the story, ladies and gentlemen. The story of how a lawyer saved a murderer's life. Ah, but maybe you'd like to know who that lawyer was. That lawyer who saved the life of James Summons by defending him at a murder trial became so famous because of that trial that he went on to become the President of the United States. For you see, that lawyer's name was Rutherford B. Hayes. wrestler who saved an ice skater's life only to have that ice skater save his life and because of this go on to become the president of the United States. Real two. Bobby Riggs, the holder of the world's professional tennis championship, plays a dazzling game of tennis. And he handles a razor as smoothly as he does a tennis racket. Bobby Riggs is a brush and lather shaver. Writes me that Colgate Lather Shaving Cream helps give him that smoothness in shaving. Here's his letter. Want to know why I'm sold on Colgate Lather Shaving Cream, Bill? Because every shave with Colgate Lather is sweet and smooth and clean as a whistle. That light, fine-textured shave cream makes wonderful whisker-wetting lather. It gets down in the stubble, softens the whiskers fast, makes shaving a breeze. Yes, sir, Colgate Lather Shaving Cream sure covers the cart from baseline to net with speed, smoothness, and real shaving comfort. In my opinion, Colgate Lather is top. Thanks, Bobby Riggs. Your experience should get other brush and lather fans to try Colgate Lather shaving cream. That's all we ask, fellas. Just try it. Notice the rich, moist lather that the light, fine-textured shave cream makes. How thoroughly Colgate Lather softens your whiskers. When you use Colgate Lather shaving cream, you'll find your razor doesn't pull or scrape. Instead, it cuts through clean and smooth, and it leaves your face truly comfortable. Please, get some Colgate Lather shaving cream tomorrow. It's the lather shave of champions. <laughs> <laughs>
Reel three, profile of a tough break. Do you think that your life has been a tough break? Do you think you've had more than your share of hard luck? If you do, listen to this story. The story of a man who had more than his share of tough breaks. This story begins several years ago when the man I'm talking about was only a boy. No matter where he went, he heard people say, Go on, you little brat. Beat it. Ah, but that was only the beginning. They told him if he grew up and he went to college like his brother, he could get a good steady job like his brother had <laughs> as a street cleaner. And when finally he did go to college, he went out for football, only to be told, everybody's out to get you. Despite that, he did play college football. But when he tried the business where fights are frequent, that is, providing he wouldn't fight back. Once he rode on a bus for 16 hours without eating, because they refused to sell him any food. And a man he worked for once said this about him. I don't think he's even a human being. Other men he worked with said this about him. I refuse to be associated with him. He was boycotted, ignored, abused, insulted, humiliated. They hit him, they hurt him, until finally a delegation tried to make him quit. Ah, but he wouldn't quit. No, he wouldn't quit. For you see, this man who started with nothing, Ran into trouble all his life. Despite that handicap, went on to become a success. In fact, he became such a great success that last year he was called to our nation's capital in Washington to speak before the Congress of the United States and the entire nation listened to his words. And this is what he said. When the House Committee on Un-American Activities invited me to appear here today and express myself on the subject of your interest, I answered that I'd be glad to do so. I can't speak for any 15 million people any more than any other person can. But I know that I've got too much invested for my wife and child and in the future of this country to throw it away. But that doesn't mean that we're going to stop fighting. It means that we're going to fight it all the harder because our stake in the future is so big. This story of this boy who started with absolutely nothing yet went on to be invited to speak before Congress. That story was made possible long ago by one man. One man who many years ago spoke these immortal words. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty. see the story that we've been telling you tonight. This story of a boy who overcame great handicaps and yet succeeded despite them until finally he was important enough to be invited to speak before the Congress of the United States. That boy is today. He's the most valuable baseball player in the National League. He's the star of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And here he is speaking in person. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jackie Robinson. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for always trying to see that there is equality in sports. If I have accomplished anything in this world, it isn't the fact that they have made a movie of my life or that I play baseball with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and I'm not taking any personal bows for this either. Somebody else would have done it if I hadn't. But I would like to talk tonight over this coast-to-coast -to -coast network to youngsters everywhere who want to be baseball players. If the road looks rocky up ahead, if it looks like you can't make the grade, don't give up hope. you have more of a chance than I had, so hang on. Look what can happen. Thank you, Jackie Robinson. 
You are the living proof of what the word democracy really means. And with Memorial Day coming up next Tuesday, it's only fitting tonight that we remember some who gave their lives to preserve this same democracy. Let me call the roll. There was an American boy who once set three Olympic records, 11 national records, five world records. No other runner ever received as much publicity as he did. But in the last world war, he was killed in Alaska. His name, his name was Charlie Paddock. How about one of America's greatest football players? The Associated Press, the United Press, all the sports writers voted him the most valuable football player in America in 39. But in this last world war, he died in the South Pacific. His name was Niall Kinnick. And let's not forget one of the greatest tennis champions in the United States has ever had. When he won the United States tennis championships, they said he'd never be forgotten. He, too, died in this last world war. His name was Joe Hunt. And how about America's champion polo player? For the past 20 years, he was one of the greatest polo players in America. He was too young to enlist in the last war, and yet he died in this worst war. His name was Tommy Hitchcock. But there were others, many others, who died in the last war to keep our democracy alive. And down in Arlington, Virginia lies the Arlington Memorial Military Cemetery, where thousands of our war heroes lie buried. Over the entrance of that cemetery, inscribed in granite, are carved some words that I think fully describe our feelings towards these Words that should be remembered on each Memorial Day. Words that say, Sleep well, soldier. You are not forgotten. For shaves that are extra fast and smooth and easy on your face, try Colgate Lather Shaving Cream. Colgate Lather does the trick because it's a super beard softener. It's not thick or heavy. It's light and fine textured. Right, Bill? You betcha. You can see the difference the first time that you shave with Colgate Lather Shaving Cream. The lather's so rich and moist it wilts even barbed wire whiskers in a jiffy. And that blanket of lather supports every bristle so your razor sweeps your beard off slick and smooth. There's no pulling, scraping, or dragging. When you finish a Colgate lather shave, your face actually feels refreshed. Your skin has a baby smoothness and a nice supple softness. Now, isn't that the sweet shave that you're after? Then try Colgate lather shaving cream. Enjoy the close, clean, long-lasting shaves you get when you use this light, fine-textured Colgate shave cream. You can get Colgate lather shaving cream at any toilet goods counter. Buy it tomorrow. Ask for Colgate lather shaving cream, the lather shave of champions. And now... Back to Bill Stern. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the 3-0 mark for tonight. Next Friday night, we'll be back same time, same stations, when our guest will be the most famous baseball player alive, the star of the New York Yankees, Jolton Joe DiMaggio. See you then. Until then, I'll be seeing you on the screen in the news of the day, newsreels, favorite Lowe's or Associated Theaters. Now, until next Friday night at this very same time, this is Bill Stern wishing you all a good, good night.
a minute, ladies and gentlemen. Don't shut your radio off. Those red paper poppies that'll be sold on the streets all over in America tomorrow were made by disabled American veterans of both world wars. Accept your poppy proudly. Wear it proudly. Give what you can in return. Show those who live that those who died did not die in vain. Good night. Be sure to listen tomorrow night over the same network to the Colgate Hour of Fun. Yes, fun for the whole family with a day in the life of Dennis Day, followed by the hilarious Judy Canova Show. The Bill Stern Show tonight came to you from New York. Delightful Dennis Day brings you a bright half hour tomorrow on NBC. This, I believe. Jackie Robinson was born in Cairo, Georgia, 33 years ago. He grew up in Pasadena, California, where in school and college he was an all-round athlete. History was made when Branch Rickey of the Dodgers signed Robinson in 1946. He was the first Negro to participate in big league baseball. His achievements are a part of baseball history. Here now is Jackie Robinson. At the beginning of the World Series of 1947, I experienced a completely new emotion when the National Anthem was played. This time, I thought it was being played for me as much as for anyone else. This is organized Major League Baseball, and I am standing here with all the others, and everything that takes place includes me. About a year later, I went to Atlanta, Georgia, to play in an exhibition game. On the field for the first time in Atlanta, there were Negroes and whites, other Negroes besides me, and I thought, what I had always believed has come to be. And what is it that I have always believed? First, that imperfections are human, but that wherever human beings were given room to breathe and time to think, those imperfections would disappear no matter how slowly. I do not believe that we have found or even approached perfection that is not necessarily in the scheme of human events. Handicaps, stumbling blocks, prejudices, all of these are imperfect, yet they have to be reckoned with because they are in the scheme of human events. Whatever obstacles I found made me fight all the harder, but it would have been impossible for me to fight at all except that I was sustained by the personal and deep-rooted belief that my fight had a chance. It had a chance because it took place in a free society. Not once was I forced to face and fight an immovable object. Not once was the situation so cast-iron rigid that I had no chance at all. Free minds and human hearts were at work all around me, and so there was a probability of improvement. I look at my children now, and I know that I must still prepare them to meet obstacles and prejudices, but I can tell them, too, that they will never face some of these prejudices because other people have gone before them. And to, to myself, I can say, because progress is inalterable, many of today's dogmas will have vanished by the time they grow into adults. I can say to my children, there is a chance for you, no guarantee, but a chance. And this chance has come to be because there is nothing static with free people. There is no Middle Ages logic so strong that it can stop the human tide from flowing forward. I do not believe that every person in every walk of life can succeed in spite of any handicap. That would be perfection. But I do believe, and with every fiber in me, that what I was able to attain came to be because we put behind us, no matter how slowly, the dogmas of the past. To discover the truth of today, 
and perhaps find the greatness of tomorrow. I believe in the human race. I believe in the warm heart. I believe in man's integrity. I believe in the goodness of a free society. And I believe that the society can remain good only as long as we are willing to fight for it and to fight against whatever imperfections may exist. My fight was against the barriers that kept Negroes out of baseball. This was the area where I found imperfection and where I was best able to fight, and I fought because I knew it was not doomed to be a losing fight. It couldn't be a losing fight, not when it took place in a free society. And in the largest sense, I believe that what I did was done for me and that my faith in God sustained me in my fight and that what was done for me must and will be done for others. That was Jackie Robinson, star second baseman of the Brooklyn Dodgers and the director of community activities for the NBC stations in New York City. Wherever and whenever a sports discussion gets around to the point of naming the great all-time jockeys, the name of Ted Atkinson is bound to pop up. We're happy to announce that the same Teddy Atkinson is our guest today, and you'll be hearing from him right after we hear this message of importance. Ted, you were one of our top jockeys. Uh, I know it must have been a difficult decision for you to hang them up and take another job with the association now. What decided you on the fact that, well, maybe I've had it? Well, I had a recurring trouble with a bad back. It had started a great number of years ago and uh, seemed to, uh, well, it was in a dormant condition, and then I managed to break my back uh, at Saratoga about five or six years ago, and subsequently these uh, sacroiliac attacks came back. Uh And uh, when it began to get a little too frequent, I, I decided that I'd better give it up. Mm-hmm. Is the day of a jockey a difficult one? Do you have to get up in the mornings for training of the horses earlier, or do you just do it with certain horses? Well, during my career, I usually was associated with a stable, and it did require me to uh, be out in the mornings. Mm-hmm. However, uh, most of the top riders today don't have jobs, and they, they ride freelance and aren't required to... Uh, exercise horses except in uh, certain specified cases by appointment. Usually it's a big horse. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about training of horses? Have you thought about owning your own stable and this kind of thing? I've thought of, of training horses uh, throughout my career and it's been the job, the last job on the racetrack that I ever want to hold. It's uh, the most aggravating. A trainer never uh, gets away from his horses. He has them 24 hours a day. Mm. Ted, uh, I've always wondered about jockeys. You have to really love this game to get into it. It seems to me that uh, you take a lot of chances to try to get your mounts home. Does this require a lot of love? I I don't think so, Jack. Uh, It seems to me that, oh, probably 10 or 15% of even the top riders, uh, to me, have no real love of the animal. Uh, In fact, uh, it's simply a tool, and they have no particular uh, regard for race riding as a profession. It's something that they've drifted into, have become good at, and uh, it's the best living they can make. Mm-hmm. Teddy Atkinson, thank you very much for taking the time to come by and say hello to our audience. Thank you, Jack. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Well, that just about does it for now, fans. See you soon.
Destination Freedom. Destination Freedom. Dramatizations of the great democratic heritage of the Negro people. Brought to you by Station WMAQ as a part of the pageant of history and of America's own Destination Freedom. This week we tell the story of Jackie Robinson, famous star player of the Brooklyn Dodgers, in a chapter entitled The Rhyme of the Ancient Dodgers. Through the neon jungles of Brooklyn, New York, walks Sammy the Femi, an ancient Dodger, a man Brooklyn's barbers believe is dead. But of his glittering eye, baseball fans live in dread. He stalks the streets like a graveyard ghost, hands outstretched like he's looking for a quarter, inspecting the citizens from maids to the mayor till he spies a dame who's missed a game. And with his hairy mitt, he grabs her collar. Then this earth-shattering question, he starts to holler. Say, babe, did you see them bums play today, did you? No, I ain't seen no game, Papa. Uncollar me or I'll cuff you. You mean you missed the Dodgers game today? Didn't I say so? Did your mother die? Did you have a stroke? Or was you just flat broke? Nader, I was getting married to Timothy Rogers. You mean you're gone and divorced the Dodgers? So what? Who in the devil are you to butter? Babe. I'm Sammy DeWhammy. Well, scrammy, Sammy. Babe, I'm from the Unbrooklyn Activities Committee. For being so disloyal, I could have you burled in Earl. Oh, if, if I had a known, I'd have been there. Uncall me, please. Give me ear. The ancient Dodger dropped his hand, but pinned on her his whammy eye, whose power made her pulses slow, made traffic stop, made night turn day. And the babe had to hear what Sammy had to say. You mean, woman, you didn't hear what the Dodgers did today? I, I ain't heard nothing. But, but I won't miss the game no more. Why did you pick out poor me? I pass my days from game to game. I got a strange power of speech. Whenever a square's face I see, I know that's the square that's booked to hear me. Now, babe, be still. And my tale I'll teach you. Free, without a pence, without a single fee. Go ahead, old man. What a suspense will kill me. With my own eyes, woman. I seen them do it. Oh? Them Dodgers, they outlawed the second strike. No. Them bums, they done it. And where was you? You mean they cut out strike two? Like the liver out of a pig. They ripped out strike two. When other teams balked, the Dodgers risked it. Good gosh, Almighty. And to think I missed it. Just be still, babe, and I'll put you wise. I'll tell you what I seen with my whammy eyes. Are those your knees I hear knocking? The Brooklyn babe shook at hip like Leo de Roche's upper lip when he beefs back at umps and hacks. But shake or quake, she couldn't escape the single and the one-half whammy that came from the eyes of Brooklyn Sammy. Hold still, babe. Here it goes. I was at Ebbets Field at my post in the bleachers, investigating for un-Brooklyn activities. I'm sitting in the crowd, unseen, invisible, watching the fans root for the boys like only Dodger fans can do. And what a show. I know, I know. Well do I know. It was a sight to see when the ump called them right. You could hear them about ten miles from the gate when a ball was called that missed the plate. 
And he was right. We give the ump his due. Yeah! 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 You got eyes like a blessed cat, huh? You got eyes like a blessed cat. That ump's the best man on our team. Oh, I love that ump. I would harm a hair on that ump's head. I love that ump. Lovely, lovely, lovely. But when the ump called it wrong... Strike three! We had another song. when this new Dodger comes to the plate. The next batter for Brooklyn will be first baseman, Jackie Robinson. There was umpires, umpires everywhere, and the pitcher hadn't thrown a ball. But when this Robinson ups to the plate, some ghostly umpire calls. <laughs> Did you hear that? Did you hear him? Yeah, I heard it. But you didn't say nothing. You was quiet, like the bleachers was. He was an empire calling two strikes on a man before he gets the bat. And the bleachers was quiet like that. Then my second sense starts operating. I put my whammy in action. Please don't put it on me. Be still, babe. I put it on Jackie Robinson. I give him the double reverse flashback whammy so I could see where the second strike comes from. I tie my nerves and my muscles together and threw my double whammy, not my triple, mind you, just my double whammy. And what do you know? I'm in some foreign country, Chicago, seeing this guy Jackie Robinson in the year 1943. And some citizens is out practicing baseball. Foreigners sure imitate us Brooklyners, don't they? Yeah. Well, there I am in 1943 in Comiskey Park. And this Jackie Robinson's working out with his team, the Kansas City Monarchs. I'm looking around. And guess who I see standing there? I ain't got the slightest idea. Two of the scouts from our own beautiful bums. Clyde Suk, Fort, and Taylor. And they're watching Robinson working out. And every time Robinson gets near the plate, I hear this up call. And I hear the scouts talking. Sure, Robinson's got two strikes on him before he steps up to the plate. Any colored player who tries to crash the major leagues got two strikes on him. That don't cut no ice. Yeah, that's what they tell me, Taylor. But make up your mind, Clyde. You've been watching Robinson a week. You've seen his history, didn't you? This guy's been football, track, and basketball champ at UCLA. I read about it. You clocked his speed. You saw him steal second right off the field. I ain't seen him hit a good one yet. Keep watching him. He's up to bat now. Watch him. Watch this. There. It's gone. Going over the wall. What'd I tell you? 
And watch him sail over those bases. Look at him go. How about it, Clyde? Is he good? He's good, all right, Taylor. But will he go for the deal? That's the question. You never know until you put it to him straight. Okay. Okay. Hey, Robinson, will you come over here a minute? He's the one, Clyde. I'm telling you. What are you talking about? Well, it's about a proposition we want to put to you. We're scouting for the Dodgers. Uh, yeah, so I've been told. And you look good. And that ain't all. Well, you see, we know Negro players have been frozen out of the major league. But we want a man who can crack the ice. Once it's cracked, it'll stay cracked. Besides, the guy who does it will be on the Brooklyn team. I see. Is that the deal? Part of it. If Rick is the boss, he'll tell you the other part if you're interested. This is kind of sudden, but... No. No, not so sudden. I've been thinking about it a long time. Hey, but why'd you guys pick me? Now, you look like the kind of player who could get a hit even if you do start out with two strikes on you. That's when my double whammy started showing me where them two strikes come from. I see the scouts carry Robinson in to see Brooklyn's president, Branch Rickey. Rickey puts a cigar stub in the corner of his mouth. He squints his eyes, and he examines Robinson like a pawnbroker looking over a gold watch. And he gives him the acid test. What do you think of Brooklyn Robinson? I've got nothing against him. What do you think of Jim Crow? I'd like to not... Okay, I know what you mean. That's part of the proposition. Maybe you'll make it, maybe you won't. I never seen you play. My scouts say you're okay. But for this, we need a cool, quiet sort of fellow. One who can keep all that trouble and not let Ryzen get him. You know what I mean? You mean you want a guy who won't fight back when he's shoved around? If he knows anything about baseball... I he'll... know baseball, mister. It's a hard, aggressive game. But you can't swing hard on your knees. You gotta stand up and fight. That's the way I look. I'm sorry if I'm not your man. Huh. Who said you were not the man? Well, I thought you wanted... Maybe to... I thought that, too. You look different. Maybe you're right. It's going to be a long, hard pull. It'll take a fighter to make it. You'll start out on the bottom on a farm team, Montreal. They train down in Sanford, Florida. Clyde will take you down. Throw the ball around, limber up. Meet the townspeople. Chucks, can't tell. They may welcome you with open arms. You can never tell about fans... You can never tell. Strike two. That's what Ricky said. But Daddy Ump was still calling him strikes even before Jackie got into a uniform. So I wanted to see how he was making out. So I called up my triple whammy. Ooh, not the triple whammy. Not Dad. Yeah, babe, my triple whammy. So I could kind of look into the past and see what kind of welcome the townspeople in Sanford was giving them. I screwed my nerves, squinted my eyes, and threw my triple whammy. And I say, good folks of Sanford... We should welcome this Negro baseball player in a traditional way. Teach him to respect our customs and laws. It's those carpetbag organizations like Brooklyn that sends him down here. That's That's what I it's those communist front organizations yeah. like to know. Man, 
Are we gonna let them saw the lily white name of our fair city? No! no. I said no! no, no then run that. this Jackie Robinson out of town. Let's protect the fair name of baseball from un-American invaders. Yeah. Well, I could see right off the welcome was gonna be hot. I looked through the fence at a practice park where Robinson was hitting the ball about until the coach, he calls him over. Coach was worried. Say, Jackie. Uh, yeah? Jackie, uh, Chief wants you to pack your things. We're moving to the next town. The team just got here. Well, they're staying. They'll be along later. How soon can we get packed? Half hour if it's urgent. But... It's urgent, all right. I'll be waiting in the car. And there was Jackie going off the field he just got on, getting in the car and riding past the men on the corner. <laughs> and it looked like they was waving at him. <laughs> Say, these guys got to know me already. Now, look at there. They're waving at me. Yeah, they're waving at you, all right. Let me roll down the window. I'll wave back. Keep the window up and sit back in the car. What's wrong with answering a friendly wave? A friendly wave? That's the town's white supremacy committee. They won't let Negro players stay here overnight, and they're getting their mob together. That's why we're leaving. We'll try the next town. was still calling them wrong. But this Robinson ain't easy to strike out. That ghostly umpire kept calling two strikes. But this Robinson usually got a hold of the third one. Like that time in Florida. Oh, and he hit that long line drive in the center field. It's gone, gone. It smacks against the center field wall. Robinson's rounding first, second. He's crossing third. He's going to try to stretch it to a homer. He's coming to a home. Here comes the throw. Robinson slides across the plate. Looks like he's safe. Safe! Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No. Oh, it is a man out there in a blue uniform. From another team, I guess. He's picking Jackie up out of the dust. Hey, maybe he ain't safe. Because I hear him saying... Now, get up and get out of here. You hear me? Hey, he's safe. Now, he ain't safe if he don't get out of this park. Get your hands off me. You're not the umpire. No, I'm the law. The law says you don't play here. Hey, what's the matter, officer? He didn't do nothing wrong. You've been told before, we're telling you again. Negro and whites playing on the same field in this state's punishable by law. Now, is he getting or am I using my stick? Robbie, sit over there on the bench while I straighten this out. No, he won't sit there either. Now, what are you talking about? The law says whites and Negroes can't sit together. Team or no team. Now, get out of here. You oh, get yeah, your yeah, hands off him. Yeah, take your hands off him, you lug. He's on the team and he stays on the team. Now, let That's him go. Right. Come on. What's the matter with you? Hey, hold Come it. On. Hold it. Hold it, boys. Go back to your benches this time. We're moving to another town. Team stays the same. How long are we going to... When you guys all get together the way you're doing now and backing up your teammate, the days of these lugs who prop up these phony laws are numbered. Tell them to call the game. We'll move on. That ump was still calling him, but still hadn't struck this Robinson yet. Like the time he and the coach went to the stadium in Jacksonville, and they found a guard jiggling the keys. Hey, open the door, mister. We'll be late for the game. There ain't gonna be no game, fellas. Who says so? These keys say so. The mayor's orders. 
Is this that Robinson fellow? I'm Robinson. Just wanted to take a look at you. The Bureau of Recreation won't let the game be played because you're on the team. Yeah, no use looking inside. Hey, look, take a look, Coach. It's full of people. Well, well, well. Yeah, they didn't know we'd call off the game. Hey, what you guys smiling at? There's an overflow crowd. It means the, it's the politicians who are against us, not the people. What's the difference? This will make quite a bit of difference, buddy. Quite a bit. And the more they played, the more the difference began to count. People kept pouring into the parks. And Robinson was hitting them steady, playing the infield like Eddie Collins used to. He was fighting so hard to fill that gap in the Dodger lineup, he didn't know he was wearing his arm out, throwing and catching and scooping him up too fast, too much, until a ball was hit his way to drop from his hand when he tried to throw it. Hey, hey, what you dropping for, Jackie? Pick it up, throw it. throw it. He can't even lift it up. His arm swings around like it's out of socket. They take him off the field. The coach looks him over. Hey, let's see that arm. Oh, pretty bad. Hey, we're getting near the home stretch and they'll be picking players for the Dodgers. You gotta make it. Now take some days off, see if the arm will heal. Rick will be down in a week and look you over. You got to get yourself back in the lineup before the season's over. I remember the birds was beginning to go north. But this Robinson arm still hadn't healed. He couldn't throw from shortstop to first. And then Brooklyn's Ricky comes down and takes him out on the field. What position are you trying out for, Jackie? Shortstop. But I can't get the ball over to first base anymore. If you were on first base, you wouldn't have very far to throw, would you? No, but I never played first base. Now, you're going to play it now. Give me that glove. A million buzzards are waiting for you to stumble. Now, watch. You play just far enough off the bag to keep both sides covered. But you've got to get that arm working. You've got to. Slowly, he gets the arm working again and pulls himself back into the lineup. Stretched out for the wild ones off first base, Tariki notices and says... Okay, Jackie. Now you're getting set. Now this farm team's going to play a few games against the Dodgers. I think you can make it now? I feel pretty sure I can make it. Uh, one thing. Yeah? Well, I've been watching the catches. Yeah? And only a few of them can whip the ball down to second base faster than I can steal it. Yeah, what are you leading up to? Well, look, let me run bases the way I want to. Let me steal all the bases I can. Well? Of course, I'll get caught sometimes. Ty Cobb got caught sometimes, didn't he? Okay, be smart and cagey, but don't be reckless. The record looks good by April. Yeah? Well, we'll see. And the season rolled around, and it came time for the reckoning. Ricky called his staff in. He got down right to the point. Right, Shotton, Taylor. Okay, how about it? You mean Robinson? Naturally, you guys been watching. Who hasn't? Okay, it's April. How's Robinson doing? Let's have it. Well, suppose we let the record talk, Chief. Let it talk. Well, for a man who's had two strikes on him before he gets to the plate, he's doing all right. In the International League, he's got the record for stolen bases. He's hitting at 360, and on runs batted in, he's ahead there, too. And will you take a look at these attendance records? Well, what do you think it means? I'm thinking it means people are sick and tired of race discrimination in sports. I think it means if a guy's good enough to stop a bullet on a battlefield, he's good enough to stop a line drive in Ebbetsfield. I'm thinking we ought to steal a march on the other teams. What do you mean, Chief? Let's move him up to the Dodgers now. 
spark plug the minor league, he can spark plug this one. We've got to win that pennant this year. Okay? Sure, Chief, but... But what? Some of the major league boys say they'll strike against the Dodgers if Robinson's on the team. Some guys on our own team say they won't stick. Saying it's one thing, doing it's another. Sure, it might be a strike. But a guy who's beat the odds with two strikes against him won't be scared if another's called. Let him strike. It'll test the whole base of our baseball leagues. Brooklyn's ready. Uh, Miss Hill. Yes, Mr. Ricky. Put through that call to Jackie Robinson. Give him the message. Yes, sir. Hello, Robinson speaking. Mr. Ricky says, would you like to come down and sign your contract with the Dodgers? What? Will you say that again? I said, would you like to come down and sign your contract with the Dodgers? And the news got around, and it was the talk of the town. And on the subway, a brave Brooklynite would look over the shoulder of a brave Bronxite, and one was sure to say, I say, chum, when he is going to turn the page, I finished Dick Tracy. Oh, yes, sir. And just what page would pleasure you most? Cut the comedy and get to the sports. I want to see what the Dodgers done. Ain't you heard? I've been out of touch with things. Now, look here on the front page. See what them bums gone and done? A son of a gun. They signed up Jackie Robinson. Ah, them crazy Dodgers. What's crazy about them? The Constitution of Brooklyn says every citizen's got the inalienable right to play baseball. Ah, this Jackie Robinson won't last two days in the major. Says you. Says me. Hey, what? Don't wave your finger in my face. Yeah, get your finger out of my hey, face. Shut up. what you said about the bum. Oh, hey, you lie. That'll teach you to talk about the bum. Oh, stop kicking out of the And the fighting went all over Flatbush and the Bronx while Robinson kept running the bases and taking the resin and the cold shoulder, till in Pittsburgh, he runs smack into the warm shoulder of first baseman Hank Greenberg. And the two first basemen pick each other up, and the pirate said to the Dodger... <laughs> Say, how you doing, Jackie? Well, like Lincoln said, if it wasn't for the honor, I'd just as soon give it up. Ah, stick it out. Some gave me the business when I first made the majors. I beat the odds. I'm Jewish. Stick it out. This Robinson, he was sticking it out when the strike that was supposed to be strike three was thrown. One major league team had gotten together before a big game at Ebbets Field. The wind-up was in the making. And like I was saying, we got to stop this thing before we bring in them colored. We're not going on that field unless they fire Robinson. What do you guys say, huh? Well, I'm not standing for it. Baseball's done all right for years without colored in it. I say let's keep it that way. Why don't we strike? Why don't we strike? Say, fellas, here comes the chief. Here's the league president. Uh, come on in, chief. We've been waiting here from you. You got our message? I did. Well, fellas, so there's going to be a baseball strike against another team's player. You're right. We're not going on the same field against Robinson. The team's decided. Team decided. And what do you think about the people, the fans out there? What have they decided? Let me tell you something. If you strike, you'll be striking not just against Robinson, but against them. And against them, you can't win. Hey, now hey, listen, wait, we've wait, already You decided. listen to me, all of you. We call our baseball world championship ball. The world's made up of more teams than one. More races than one. Baseball can't have pickpockets among its players. What you're about to do is to pick a player's pocket, rob him of a job. 
You can't win. Every fan in Flatbush is backing Robinson, and they're right. Brooklyn says there's not going to be any more guys starting out with two strikes against them. They're outlawing that second strike. That's all I got to say, except think this thing over. What you decide to do will decide the history of baseball. The fans are way ahead of you. Think it over. The boys thought it over a long time. And then from where I'm sitting in the bleachers, I see them come out on the field and take their places. And then Jackie comes to bat again, and I hear his ump. Strike two. And the bleachers are still quiet. I see they haven't been told that strike two's outlawed. So I get ready to throw my quadruple whammy to awaken them. Good Lord. Not the quadruple. Sammy, not the quadruple. Yeah, babe. The quadruple whammy had to be thrown. So I screw myself up, look at the yump, and throw it. Then I listen to the yump, and he's correcting himself. Since he called it right, Brooklyn gave the ump his due. Yeah! Yeah! You got eyes like a blessed cat, ump. You got eyes like a blessed cat. I'm the best man on our team. Yeah! Oh, I love that ump. I wouldn't have hair on that ump's head. I love that ump. Lovely. The bums had outlawed that second strike. So you see, babe, we may have a tree or two growing in Brooklyn, but we won't have no bigger tree. We insist. Good gosh almighty. I think that's what I missed. I got a good notion to divorce Timothy Rogers and just be married to the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now go your way, babe. And if anybody asks who is Sammy the Whammy... Just tell them the same story that I just told to you. And the bride went off like one that's been stunned. And in the neon jungle, she felt forlorn. But the most hep and the wiser babe, she rose the morrow morn. You've just heard Destination Freedom's dramatization, The Rhyme of the Ancient Dodger, the story of Brooklyn's Jackie Robinson, brought to you by Station WMAQ. Destination Freedom is written by Richard Durham and produced under the direction of Homer Heck. The role of Jackie Robinson was played by Oscar Brown, Jr., The Ancient Dodger by Studs Terkel, Branch Rickey by Everett Clark, and Clyde Soupforth by Tommy, Tony Parrish. Others were Janice Kingslow, Ernie Andrews, and Jack Lester. The special music was arranged and composed by Emil Soderstrom and played by Elwin Owen and Bobby Christian. This is Hugh Downs inviting you to be with us again next week when Destination Freedom will bring you the dramatic story of Walter White, 
the man who could not deny his heritage. Jackie, before we go any further, what do you think of Alvin Dark uh, being appointed as manager of the San Francisco Giants? He's an old buddy of yours. Well, I don't think they could have made a finer choice. I think that he will do the kind of job for him. He's certainly one of the most respected young ball—I mean, ball players in the game, not young, but one of the most respected. And I think he'll do a whale of a job for the Giants. I suppose that you fill many speaking engagements throughout the year and travel many miles. About how many, Jackie? Well, it's hard to say. Well, let's exclude this presidential race here. And I, I, I say that being with the, my company, Chockful of Nuts, I only go out two or three times a year for them or whenever there's a, a meeting that I think I can be a service to someone would call and I go. But I don't travel too much because most of my work is right in New York. Uh, all of our stores are right around the New York area, and we are now opening our coffee. We're selling that throughout the country. But I only go whenever we open a market because I'm in charge of personnel and I don't have to run around doing public relations. Jackie Robinson, do you miss baseball at all? Not one bit. I'm very happy at Chock Full of Nuts. It's a great company, and uh, since I could no longer be an active ball player, I don't want to get into something that depends upon what someone else does for my livelihood, because uh, if, if I was to be a coach or a manager, if the fellows on the ball club didn't do a good job, I'd be out of a job. You never want to be a major league manager. I have no desires whatsoever to get back in baseball in any capacity. Traveling around the country and being in the job as you are, have you found improvements in attitudes of people toward one another, particularly your race? There's no question about it. There have been great progress made. Well, let's take when we first came here into St. Louis. There were many problems here, no question about it. But after a couple of years in this area, the only thing people wanted was that, well, I played baseball to the best of my ability, and I'm sure with Bill White and the other color fellows on the ball club now, the St. Louis fans go out, and if Bill White hits the home runs and wins the ball game for the St. Louis Cardinals, that's all they want. And I certainly uh, give a lot of credit to Harry Carey for the job that he did. This is one thing I'll always be appreciative of because Harry always presented baseball as it was, and uh, he gave me credit when I did something good, and he gave me the devil when I did something bad. And I think this is what should be done. This is all that we ever asked for is that they, they reported what was going on on the field. We could depend upon Harry for doing that. And Harry always did it in a nice, quiet manner. Too, Not nice and quiet. <laughs> because I've, never, I, I've never seen anybody rooted so hard. Maybe, Harry, maybe uh, Bob Prince at Pittsburgh. Uh, he roots hard for <laughs> Pittsburgh, but I've never seen anybody root any harder for their, their ball club than Harry did for his. Uh-huh. Jackie, as you look back, what was the first year that you broke into the major leagues? I came to the Dodgers in 1947, uh-huh. and uh, it was a wonderful year. Are you uh, happy now that you were the first Negro to play major league baseball? Well, it, there were advantages. I don't know whether you can say I was happy. I, I wished that it hadn't have been that way. I would have loved to have come in when I was 20 years of age instead of when I was 27 because it's your first five, six years that you get your experience and the, the, the knowledge. And when I was 27, this is, should have been the year that I was in my peak in the major leagues. But I was, at that time, just trying to learn a lot of things about baseball. And I didn't really reach my peak until I was probably uh, 31. I mean, as far as knowing all about about baseball was concerned. A lot of ball clubs in the league were happy about that, too. You were tough <laughs> enough as you were. <laughs> Jackie, what problems did you encounter being the first of your race to enter 
organized baseball? Well, there were all kinds of problems, uh, problems with spectators, problems with ball players, but uh, it didn't take long to overcome it because we were playing with a pretty good ball club. Uh, we won the pennant in 47. We had on our ball club a guy by the name of Pee Wee Reese, the captain of our ball club, that let everybody know that the only thing the fellows on the Brooklyn Baseball Club were interested in, as far as Jackie Robinson was concerned, hit the ball well, Jack, and run and steal bases, help the Dodgers win, and this is all that we're going to ask, and we'll help you in every way that we can. They did, and I've been appreciative because I don't know whether it would have been this way had I been playing with someone uh, other than the Reese's and the Rickies and, and the Hodges and, and, and fellows like that who were really interested in what was going on. It seems peculiar, Jackie, that it would take a little guy like Pee Wee Reese from Louisville, Kentucky to come to the fore. Well, he's a real man. That's all you can say. Every time uh, something came up, I remember the first time in Boston that we played together as a double play combination. We walked out onto the field, and there was considerable uh, uh, jockeying from the Boston bench. There wasn't anything vicious about it, but we heard all kinds of remarks about Pee Wee being from the South and whether or not we were going out together after the, the game was over. Things that would irritate other Southerners, you know, uh, because they had never had the opportunity of playing and or working with Negroes, and there were all kind of bugaboos going on that the Negro was different in some kind of way. So Reese listened to it for a minute or so and he didn't even look into the dugout, walked over to my position and put his hand on my shoulder, said something in my ear and immediately all of the noise stopped. He was saying to them without going through any kind of words, but his actions indicated that the only thing that he was asking was that Jackie Robinson continue to play baseball in the best manner that he could. And I think that if more of us would take this attitude, you know, we talk too much about what we are going to do as far as equal opportunities are concerned, and we don't act enough. During Brotherhood Week, you hear all these different committees doing a great job working for Brotherhood during this one particular week, and after the 50, uh, and the during the other 51 weeks, they fall right back in the same vein. And I, and, and I like the way Reese worked. He just asked that you do the best you can do as far as your own abilities are concerned. I imagine you have Mr. Branch Rickey to thank for introducing you to the major leagues. Well, I think had it not been for a man like <coughs> Rickey, it could not have been a success. I remember up in Montreal... When we were running into a number of problems, I would get a call from Mr. Rickey warning me to be on the alert. This particular thing was going to happen or that was going to happen. And if it's if it does happen, we would like for you to handle it in this particular manner. And I was amazed at the number of things that he called me about that actually came about. And so I was able, in most instances, to be uh, a little bit ahead of the game. So I have Mr. Rank Rickey to thank, certainly, for bringing me in. But I have him to thank for being such a wonderful man with keen force sight and ability to translate it from himself over to me, and I was very proud of working with him. And now at nine minutes past the hour of four o'clock, we'd allow, would like to allow you folks to participate in the program by calling Mission 75504 and asking questions of Jackie Robinson, and I think uh, we would prefer that rather than remaining in a sports vein, most folks are familiar with the uh, cause that Jackie Robinson champions for, and uh, we would like to deal with race relations. You know, we've discussed it in the past on this program. And Mr. Robinson is at your disposal now, Mission 75504, the number. That, I would say, uh, Jackie, in addition to making a living with Chalk Full of Nuts, is your big chore in life these days for better understanding and so forth? Oh, no question about it. Uh, but there has been a great deal of progress made. Uh, there have been some people here in St. Louis that I knew uh, that have really done a great job. And, and you can just look at the great progress that's been made here in this area to know that if it can happen in areas like this, it can happen any place. So we get in and we do the best job we possibly can. Jack, we have a question here. Jack, if you just use those earphones there, you can hear the caller. <coughs> All right. Hello, your name, please. 
Uh, I'm Martin Hendon. And your question? I would like to know um, what Jackie Robinson thought of Stan Seal the first time he played against him. It's a very good question, and thank you for calling KMOX. You're welcome. Well, the only thing I can say is that Stan Musial, every time we played against him, especially in the early years, seemed to hit 600 against us and catch 9,000 and do everything else. And we didn't particularly like the way Stan Musial hurt us over there in Brooklyn. He was the one man in the early years that hurt us more than anybody we know. As a matter of fact, uh, Stan Musial was more popular in Brooklyn than practically anybody in the Brooklyn Baseball Club because he was such a dangerous man. A great ball player, a very fine fellow. Everybody in baseball that knew Stan liked him very much. He always hit very well in Brooklyn, too, didn't he? Oh, hit the man wore us out. <laughs> Jackie, would you say that baseball and uh, the including of Negro ball players on Major League rosters has done as much as anything to improve race relations in this country? Oh, yes, but I think the, the credit ought to go to the people in the stands, you know, because, as I pointed out earlier, the only thing they want is that, the, that their ball players go out and win for their particular city. They have tremendous pride in the fact that the St. Louis Cardinals are representing St. Louis, and if they can win, the fans are the ones that get the biggest kick out of it. So, therefore, I think it's the, it's the fans that have been as much responsible for it as anything else. They have really accepted this particular thing, and I think people seeing the way baseball has done, the job that it has done, they've feel it can be done in other areas also. Hello, would you care to give your name? Beverly Holloman. And your question? I would like to know how does Jackie feel about the sittings that are being held in the strongly southern states? All right, let's find out from him, and thank you for calling KMOX. How I, how I feel about the sit-ins? Mm -hmm. Well, every time I read about these youngsters, my chest jumps out about four or five feet. These kids are doing a fantastic job. I'm proud of the job they're doing. I want to help them any way they possibly can because the job that they've done since February has is more, into, as far as race relations are concerned, is, is better than many of the things that have done and all of the, have been done in all the years in the past. I, I, as an individual, sanction them. I support them. I'll do anything I can to encourage the kids to continue because it's a little difficult for adults to look at youngsters who are well-dressed, well-mannered, who know what they want, and to create the kinds of disturbances that perhaps we'd run into if they were adults. I'm proud of our kids, and I congratulate them. I think they've been not only a credit to the Negro, but I think they've been a tremendous credit to America because, let's face it, this world is made up of four-fifths colored people. And whenever events like the sit-ins come about, whenever we solve the problems like we have in just a short time ago, the Attorney General announced that over 112 cities uh, had announced there'd be no more discrimination in these areas where the sit-ins were involved. So I say that they've made a great contribution to our country because what happens here is going to be it's going to determine whether or not we win or lose the new emerging nations in Africa and also the uh, colored nations throughout the world. So they are deserving, in my opinion, of a great deal of applause. Jackie, did you say four-fifths of the world's population is made up of colored people? Well, that's correct, four-fifths. I used to say two-thirds, but I was corrected and said that it's four-fifths now, and uh, this, is, this thing should be taken into consideration. And when we have a man like Khrushchev coming into America, pointing his finger and telling us we have no right to be critical of Russia or any other country when we have a problem like we have in this country, and the thing that I'm so proud about is that uh, Mr. Nixon uh, went down south and spoke about this thing and pointed his finger at Khrushchev and says that we cannot afford to allow a man like this to point his finger at us. We must eliminate the cause. And the cause is, in this country, the discrimination practice that we face day in and day out. Hello, your name, please. Uh, all I'll say at this point is that I'm a Catholic. All right. Um, a little while ago, one of you gentlemen asked uh, Jackie Robinson if he encountered much trouble because of his race uh, in playing baseball. 
And he said no, that all that was expected of him was to do a good job and to win for his team. Now, uh, why, uh, how would he feel if this bigotry had con uh, continued uh, because of his race and wouldn't have allowed him to uh, uh, play ball as uh, he would have wanted to? And in the case of, the, of Kennedy, uh, why, why be bigoted about Kennedy? Why not give him a chance? Let's find out how Jackie feels about this, and thank you for calling KMOX. In other uh, words, Jackie, in your choice of candidates, does religion enter into the picture? I wouldn't care if the man worshipped the rock, personally, as long as he was sincere about it. I have no objection to the senator's religion. There are other things that I object about him. I don't think he's sincere, and religion has nothing to do about it. Uh, here is a man that had a breakfast with the head of the White Citizens Council, the racist governor of Alabama. At the conclusion of the breakfast, they endorse Senator Kennedy as a friend of the South. Now, certainly a man who's running for the presidency of the United States ought to have people to vote for him in the South, but I don't think at the conclusion Conclusion of a breakfast with the racist governor of Alabama, a man who ran for the governorship of that state, ran on a ticket where he showed picture of a Negro being kicked and beaten and telling his white audience down there, you elect me your governor, and this is the way that I would treat them, meaning the Negro. And I just want to say that as a Negro American, a man who is attempting to get to the starting line, I cannot support a man that who will not repudiate these kinds of Americans. This is where we're losing the prestige here in this country. Every time there's an act of discrimination, Every time a man like Patterson, the governor of state, stands up with these kinds of pictures, they are portrayed throughout the world. And as I pointed out a moment ago, four-fifths of the world is made up of colored people. And when he talks about the loss of prestige, this is where we're losing it, not because of any other thing. And I and this is what I object to. And I could go on and say other things, the reason why. One, one final thing, the reason I object to, to the senator, as far as the Negro is concerned, he told me to my face that uh, he hasn't had the opportunity of knowing the Negro. Coming from Boston, Massachusetts, he just didn't know them. He hasn't had the opportunity. And I say that any man that's been in the Senate and the House for 14 years, if he was interested in a particular group, after 14 years in the high, one of the highest offices in our land, he ought to know them. And this has absolutely nothing to do the, the, by the way that he worships his God or whether he goes down and kneels in church at 10 a.m. or 12 a.m. It doesn't make any difference to me. I object to him for other reasons, and I do everything I possibly can to defeat I'm sorry that that certainly, but it's my privilege to object to it in America, and I'm thankful that we're able to do so. I knew we wouldn't get into politics, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, would you care to give your name and your question? What was uh, the toughest pitcher, or one of the, tough, uh, one of the toughest pitchers that he came up against on his uh, baseball career? Well, that's off from Jackie, and thank you for calling KMOX. We're uh, back to baseball again, and uh, the party wanted to know the toughest pitcher or one of the toughest pitchers you came up against in your baseball career. Well, there was a right-hander over in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, by the name of Yule Blackwell. You'll remember mm -hmm. Yule. Uh, Yule was a man that looked to a right-hander like he was falling out of a tree. I see Harry's laughing. He remembers these right-handers didn't want to stay in the batter's box when Yule Blackwell threw. He not only threw from almost at third base, but he was quick. He had a good curveball, and actually, we were kind of afraid to hit against him. So I nominate Yule Blackwell as the toughest pitcher I've had to face. Some others that you can name, Jackie? Well, then I would go over, have to go to the American League and pick Dallas pick Allie Reynolds. I remember a World Series game we played against that fellow. 
Of course, I don't know. With me, it looked like he was throwing a pee at me. I didn't swing at the bat, I think, three times. I went up there. He threw such small balls that I thought there was something wrong with it. So I go from Allie Reynolds to, um, I mean, from Ewell Blackwell to Allie Reynolds, and I could name a host of very tough pictures, but uh, I would be excluding certainly a lot of them that have been good. I think it depended, and uh, we can talk to people in sports on how well you are hitting at the time when you're facing. If Ewell was throwing hard and I was hitting well, it wouldn't make a great deal of difference. We would hit him, but if we were in some kind of slump, it wouldn't make any difference who was throwing. Those good pitchers kept your lifetime average down to 340 No, no, not me. I'm way below that. I'm down to 310. <laughs> Terrible. Hello, your name, please. I don't care to give my name, sir. All right, your question. Uh, I would like to ask Jackie Robertson if he doesn't feel that all this race discrimination and all the trouble, hard feelings there is, could have been avoided if they would have had a law that the white and color wouldn't intermarry. Well, let's find out how Jackie feels about this, and thank you for calling. Uh, very profound question, Jackie. Well, uh, first place, as far as intermarriage is concerned, uh, I don't think any individual has a right to tell anybody else whom they should or should not marry. I think that if two people are honestly and sincerely in love and they know the problems that are going to be involved between the two races, I think that they ought to go and be allowed to do whatever they please about it. I, as an individual, would not want to marry someone out of my race because I don't think that uh, when I look at marriage and I see the kinds of problems that I face that uh, I would want to be involved in this kind of thing. Uh, there are too many fine, good-looking, colored girls around that I'm interested in. I'm not interested in others in the other race in that respect. So uh, there are too many problems of, involved, but I don't think I can could say that a law should be uh, put into effect saying that a person, two people that are truly and sincerely in love, but I think they ought to know what the problems are. I think they ought to know that they're going to run into many, many difficulties. And I'd like to point out one thing, that the, the Negro is not, the great majority of the Negro is not interested in intermarriage. And this thing keeps cropping up and it's so easy if a person is not interested in another person to say no, you know, uh, and, and if the Negro is as bad as we keep hearing that we are, why should any family be concerned that their daughter or their son is going to marry one of us? It seems to me that if a person is as bad as that, they ought to have confidence in their children to know that they're going to select the man that's going to be best suited for them. And I know that if I saw a Negro and my daughter saw one that was not worthy of her, she wouldn't marry them either. But, but I just feel that it's so easy, really for a person to say no to another person. And sometimes, you know, when you start putting these things down and say you cannot go out and see a Negro, you can't go out and see a Jewish person or not, these young people want to know, well, what is it that's wrong? And even in the, the deepest of the South, you know, there's more mixing in the South than there is in the North under the cover of darkness down there simply because mothers and fathers down there have such restrictions on what's going down, going on down in the South. So I just want to say that uh, although I personally am opposed to interracial marriages, I would not say to any person that truly knows what is happening, knows the problems, that you should not marry because love is something that no one can control. And if you're truly and honestly in love, uh, it's such a blind kind of a thing that you can't control it. Mothers and fathers can only cause more problems as far as their children trying to prevent them from going out with people they want to go out with. Jackie, this seems to be a crutch that a lot of people, notably the white folks use when someone asks them, why aren't you more tolerant towards segregation? They say, I don't want my children to end up marrying a colored person. It's a crutch that they refer to quite often. Why the fears? That's I what I, I can't understand. Uh, they've brought their children up to, a, in, in a home, I would imagine, to respect 
people for what they are, and if they uh, bring them up and tell them that their kids should not do this and that, if they have control of their children and they then they point out what's good and what's bad, their children are not going to select something that's wrong. They're not going to go just go out and pick a Negro for the sake of picking him, and neither will Negroes. Uh, this idea that Negroes want to marry a, a white person is so far wrong. I'd just like to point out that you get a group of Negro young girls together, put them in a, a bunch, and you, you just note the beauty that comes from them. They don't have to go out and get this man tan or all these other kinds of uh, tanning lotions that are on the market today to darken their skins up or get certain kind of color. The Negro is already this color, and there, there's great beauty among us, so we don't have to do all these things. We, we're not interested in all these other things. Hello, your name, please? I'll throw my bottle away. <laughs> your question? I would like to uh, ask Mr. Robinson if he's seen our redevelopment area down on Market Street and uh, ask him what he thinks of this. I'm very proud of our city because of this. Well, let's find out how Jackie feels about it, and thank you for calling KMOX. Thank you. Have you noticed any of our redevelopment area here, Jackie? She wants to I know how you feel about it. I haven't been into St. Louis for any length of time since I was here in 1956. I have not seen the redevelopment area here in St. Louis, but I've seen it in other cities, and I, I think this is the finest thing that happened because this is where you have your problems, where you have your slums, and you have people who don't want to go home because of the of the housing conditions that they live, they're living under. These cause all kinds of problems as far as delinquency are concerned, and I believe that if you clear up in slum areas like she is talking about here in St. Louis, give peace, people decent places to live, instead of being out in the street converting, they will be home with their parents, and you'll have less and less discrim uh, uh, delinquency if you give them decent housing, you give them decent accommodation, decent places to play, and you give them something to look forward to, some kind of encouragement. So I think that in every area where we have slum clearance or you have redevelopment products, uh, projects, every person in St. Louis and any other city ought to be proud of them. Hello, your name, please. Uh, Lada Lockhart. And your question? I wanted to ask uh, Mr. Robinson, do he uh, believe that uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King was locked up on account of running the stop sign, or was he locked up because of the fight that he put on for the Negro race? Well, let's find out from Jackie, and thank you for calling KMOX. Well, Miss Lockhart, there can be no question in my mind that uh, a man would not be sentenced to four months in jail because he didn't have a Georgia license. In my opinion, they're trying to stop Dr. Martin Luther King, a man that who has suffered so much for the good of his people. And I, for one, admire him for the tremendous job that he's done, and I think that the people throughout the world admire Dr. Martin Luther King for the job that he's done also. Now, in my opinion, it was done for other reasons, and as a matter of fact, it could be, well, I won't go into politics again either, but they're making a martyr of this man, and uh, I think he, Dr. Martin Luther King is deserving of this. He's a tremendously fine man, one that I'm very proud to know. Hello, would you care to give your name? This is Wayne. And your question? Uh, what I'd like to ask Jackie is this. Uh, I've heard a great deal pro and con about uh, the Little League not being good for children. And uh, my son manages uh, one of the Little League teams, and he personally puts in every single one of his players in every game that the children play. Now, I'd like to ask Jackie, does he think the Little League is bad for the young boys or not? 
It's a very good question, and thank you for calling, Camoway. Uh, Mrs. Walsh, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Mrs. Walsh, I say this. My boy just finished playing Little League Baseball, and if he was nine years old and starting to play again, I would encourage him because just as your son teaches the kids that it's so important to be on a, a baseball team to get a chance to play, learn at this very early age how to lose, I think this is, has been a tremendous help to my boy. And I say, and with all sincerity, that if I had it to do all over again, I would still have my kid go through with it because it depends upon the kind of coaching that we get. I think it's harmful when the coaches insist that day in and day out you have to win. I think it's wrong when parents will say to children, unless you get a hit this time, you don't get your dessert tonight, or if you hit a home run, I'll buy you a bicycle or that kind of thing. This is where they are hurt, not for because the kids are participating, but because some of our parents don't realize that they're the ones that are hurting kids more than the, than the, the fact that they're playing Little League Baseball. Now, I say that it depends upon the adults as to whether or not Little League Baseball is harmful for the kids or not. And I say that it can be a very fine asset to these youngsters, learning how to lose at 10, 11, 12 years of age. They're going to run into many more problems later on in life that Little League Baseball will help them overcome. How is young Robinson? Pretty good ball player? Well, he looks like he can do a good job. He, Mr. Ricky says that what you need is to be able to throw, run, and hit with power, and he's, he's able to do all of those things. Whether or not he can go as far in the major leagues, another thing, because there are so many youngsters around with the same kind of ability, and it's going to take a lot, a lot of luck for him to, to make it in baseball, just like it will be for any other person that wants to make it. Jackie, don't you feel that with the addition of four new major league teams, it's going to give many members of your race an opportunity, too, to play? Not only my race, it's going to give opportunities to all kids here in this country because I think this thing is going to level off. Uh, Only 10% of the kids that are going to go in the major leagues will be Negroes, depending upon the size of the population. Uh, I don't think race is going to have anything to do with it, frankly. I think it's going to depend upon ability, and thank goodness our country is going in that direction. Ability is what counts day in and day out, and I'm proud to see the kind of progress that we're making. Hello, would you care to give your name? I'd rather not. All right, your question. I'd like to ask Mr. Robinson uh, how the Negro race in general and what is uh, being applied to them being a little bit more tolerant. After all, it is a difficult problem for both races, and we have to accept, we have to integrate with them. I think that the strain is more on us than on the Negro race, and I'd like to know how what is being taught or how the Negro is being tolerant to this. Let's find out from Jackie, and thank you for calling, Camoway. Mm-hmm. See, I, I don't really understand what she what she wants here. Now she wants she, she wants to know it, it doesn't intolerance come from the Negro race too, not only from uh, white folks but from the Negroes too. Are they intolerant of white people? Well, I don't think so, frankly. All I think that we Negroes are after is equal opportunities. And when I think she hinted something about that we have to be a bit more patient, uh, that the the things are going to work themselves out. To me, this is what she says. We have to understand that they, too, have a problem here. And we have to understand that they have to uh, readjust their own lives. And and the Negro has to be patient as far as uh, getting into schools and to uh, getting to equal opportunities. And I I just like to say to her that it seems to me that oh I guess it's almost a hundred years since the Emancipation Proclamation and there have been so many promises and when I was out in Pasadena, California I used to be told when I was going out to use the swimming pool that you know just be a little bit more tolerant, be patient the day will come when Negroes can use the swimming pool out there more than once a week or when I went down to the YMCA and was told that Negroes can use these facilities one night a week but you just be patient, be tolerant, that day will come when Negroes can use facilities uh, in the same 
basis as the white person. Uh, this was almost 30 years ago, and very frankly, I think the Negro has become a bit tired of, of being patient about these things. We only look for what is guaranteed every American citizen according to the Constitution of the United States. We're not asking, we're not asking for any special treatments. We know very well that this is a problem. And when the Supreme Court's decision was announced in 1954, it was the NAACP who first made the announcement that we recognize that this is a tremendous problem. And we only hope that people in different areas where they do have these problems would make a start. And we are perfectly willing to have this thing work out. But there's been so little done since 1954 that the Negro has to worry about what's going to happen to his kids. Yes, we understand your problem and we appreciate it, but I just hope that you will understand our problem and appreciate it. We too have children and we know that whenever they go to a segregated school, whether the facilities are as good as the integrated schools, there is a barrier there and it makes our kids feel that perhaps they are not as good as the others and I don't think it's fair that this thing continues. But we do understand the problem, but only thing we hope is that all Negroes and all white Americans who are tremendously interested in their country know and understand that this is a problem for both people, but we've got to work together to eliminate it. Hello, your name, please? Uh, Joe Tello. Your question? Well, I'd like to ask Jack, Jackie Robinson on discrimination. Now, if the colored people expect to end discrimination and they expect us to help them, how can they expect us when they place so much distrust in us? They carry guns and knives, and uh, they scare the white people have to death. Let's find out how he feels about this, and thank well, you for calling. All right. Sir, I'm sorry. We already cut off the air, so thank you for calling. Go ahead, Jackie, on, with regard to carrying weapons. Well, uh, this to me is something that continues to crop up. And I say to this gentleman that if he is truly sincere about what he's saying, observe the great numbers of young white, young Negro kids that are doing a fantastic job in this country. And I don't think it's fair. Even if there were one million Negroes carrying knives and guns like he say, he's, I believe, exaggerating somewhat. But even if there were one million, I don't think the other 18 million Negroes should be judged by what um, the other uh, one million are doing. I, uh, you know, I just read in the newspaper a short time ago about the, they just captured a man that killed uh, Coors or whatever his name out in, in Utah, wherever the area right. was. Uh, I read about the white person who bombed an airplane and killed a great number of people. Day in and day out, I read in the papers about white people that are committing crimes, white people that are carrying guns. There are good and bad in every race, and it's unfair for you or anybody else to condemn a whole race because one, two, Two or a million of them are doing something wrong. We must look at the individual here in this country. We, we in America, are a race that we look at ind the individual achievement, or we're supposed to. And until the persons in this country do recognize that they're good, they're bad in each and every race, uh, we can't expect too much progress. So I say to you, sir, that even though there may be Negroes carrying guns, uh, you know, sometimes I get scared, too, and I see white people, too. You know, it isn't, it isn't a matter of skin coloring. I, I think it depends on the individual. So you can't just say that Negroes carry knives and, and, and guns and things like that. Uh, you have as, you go and look at jail. I just was on the parole board, and uh, I had white people from Connecticut who came before me to get out, too, just as there were Negroes. So you can't blame it all on the Negro. 
Jackie, uh, Jackie Robinson, as busy as you are, we don't feel badly about imposing on your time because I know you never did have any trouble getting from one base to another. <laughs> Not at all, Jack. And thank you very much for your visit here this afternoon. Well, it's a pleasure, and I want to say to your, your audience, I appreciate the kinds of questions that they sent in. You must have an interesting two-hour session here. Is this a daily thing? Yes, it is. One hour of the uh, each day we give over to something of this sort. We cover every phase of living and life, and we have a lot of fun on the program. Well, I'm sure you do, and I appreciate your giving me the time to be on, and I hope that your listeners understand my feelings on this thing. You know, I was told a short time ago that uh, uh, I, I have no right to protest about what's going on here. They pointed out the fact that Jackie Robinson, Negro, has been given a job at, uh, in baseball by the white man, a job at Chock Full of Nuts by the white man, a job that millions of Caucasians are envious of. Uh, I sat down and answered this letter but, but just by saying that it's true that I've been very fortunate here in this country and there's no question about the advantages I have. But you know, as an American Negro and people implying that I have made, I can say to everyone here in St. Louis that I don't know of one Negro here in this country that hasn't made until the most underprivileged Negro in this country hasn't made. Therefore, we must protest until all phases, phases, phases of discrimination are eliminated here in this country. You're no longer worried about Jackie Robinson. No longer worried. I have three children going up that might not be as lucky as I've been. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Tonight, Jackie Robinson will speak at a meeting at the Hughes-Quinn Junior High School, 7 o'clock, 10th, 10th and Broadway in East St. Louis. Jackie Robinson, our guest on the sounding board this afternoon. This podcast was created with the Linux operating system. Tired of Windows and its wheel of death? Sick of the computer virus magnet called Microsoft? Then get Linux, the free computer operating system. It's easy to install, and you can try it out first. There are hundreds of versions, and all compact with tons of software. Take time to learn about Linux. L-I-N-U-X, the free open-source operating system. From the K-Rob Collection, this has been Audio Antiques, a program featuring shows from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson, urging you to subscribe to this podcast and to share it with anyone who loves classic broadcasts. Our music is by H Beats. That's H Beats with a Z. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>